Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where we are on a metabolic mission to achieve vitality and reverse chronic lifestyle conditions using real whole food, straight talk, and the pleasures of the table. Today's episode is an interview that I did with Celine River Press, a holistic health publishing company. I have also the pleasure of writing articles for them from time to time. And here, Danielle LeBaron interviewed me about my book, The Nourishment Mindset. Enjoy, y'all. Hello, everyone. I'm Danielle, and welcome to the Celine River Press Practitioner Interviews. These are a series of short conversations with some of our prominent authors and writers. Today, I'm really excited because we get to talk to our newest author, Dixie Huey. Dixie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It is a true honor. I love what Celine River Press stands for. Well, I love to hear that. We're so excited to talk to you about your amazing book, The Nourishment Mindset, which is actually also your background. So that's great. We get to see the beautiful photo the whole time. All right, let's go ahead and get started. To jump off, I really want to get to know you and your product a little bit better. Let our, our readers and our viewers get a feel for who you are. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your skill set. So I am a metabolic health and fitness coach, and that's a, a jumble. So what that really means is that I'm focused on whereas, you know, a personal trainer might be focused on strength gains a dietitian might be focused on macronutrients, that sort of thing. I'm really focused on what's under the hood, meaning your metabolic markers, your blood work. And so to me, if we can fix what's under the hood, the metabolic health, then the goals that people have, whether it be weight loss or better blood glucose control or decreased triglycerides, those things are sort of side effects of fixing metabolic health. And this is where, as Celine River Press knows, you know, food is medicine. And so the way to 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 really fix what's under the hood at, at a root cause level is to address nutrition and of course lifestyle and all the things that that entails. Awesome. That is such a great answer. All right, let's talk a little bit about your book, The Nourishment Mindset. I'd love to know a little bit about what inspired you to write the book. So what inspired me to write the book is I have kind of a, a unique background, meaning odd background. So as a teenager, I was really into ballet and I had a horrible eating disorder because I did not have the ballet body that some unicorns are gifted with. So I created that body through restriction and bulimia. 
So very unhealthy. And that was, you know, a profound thing for a child to be that sick and then thankfully recover. And what helped me recover was really focusing on real whole food. I didn't know that term at the time. But I did know that the person who helped me with that, you know, basically said, I'm kicking you out of this invite only dance experience if you don't eat exactly what I eat. So thanks to her, I basically had to heal or I would have been kicked out of the thing I loved. And as I healed and became stronger, I felt better. And I wanted to share this message with other, you know, at the time, high school teens and, and young people that were struggling. So I became a trainer and a fitness instructor. And I did that all through college. Uh, and that was wonderful. Felt much healthier. After college, I got into the wine and culinary industry. So kind of completely different Thing. I got away from the fitness industry. And there I met people who, who obviously, you know, great big duh, love food, but in a way that it's, it's not just the act of eating, it's the act of growing. So often people are really into like organic, biodynamic, you know, the quality of the ingredients, you know, good wine is starts with the soil that it's grown in. And so I developed this appreciation for not just real food, but really kind of geeking out, frankly, on the quality of the ingredients, but more importantly, this nourishment mindset. Um, and so the nourishment mindset's not just what I talked about, real food, quality of ingredients, it's also the pleasures of the table. And this is something wine geeks and food geeks do wonderfully. Sitting around the table, raising a glass, enjoying a meal, spending time there. And so then when I got out of that industry and became a health coach, I realized, you know, there are lots of people addressing like the medical aspects, the metabolic health aspects, the fitness and movement aspects, but no one's really talking about the missing piece of the metabolic puzzle, which in my humble opinion is the pleasures of the table. And we see this culturally embedded in say Europe, for example, um, but here in our culture, you know, it's sort of odd to sit down to dinner as a family. It's more of a grab and grow, rather grab and go or an eat in the car or what I call a fridge or pantry drive by. So there's no act of like appreciating the food. And my hypothesis is that interferes with not only our enjoyment and our pleasure, but also our satiety signaling our, our hormonal and physiological health. So the nourishment mindset really just wants to tie all of that together. You know, food and eating should not only be healthy and delicious, but fun. I love that. I feel like you brought up some really amazing points. One of which is so many times we have this awful disconnect of when we say healthy food, it means not good food. Oh, great. I have to go munch on a carrot or, you know, there's just there's this awful disconnect in our society with that. Oh, I can go get cookies and fast food oh, or I can eat healthy. And what a beautiful way to change that mindset of, no, the, the good food is the true pleasure. That's where it's at. And I really love that you're talking about that and you're bringing that point in. I think that is such a big point. If we can hit that home with people, we can change mindset. I love that, which I mean, that's your book, mindset. So that is just absolutely fantastic. Yes, good food should be delicious. Good, healthy food yes. should also don't have to sacrifice pleasure to nourish ourselves. Yeah, what a great line. You don't have to sacrifice pleasure to nourish ourselves. I love that. Another line I love in your book is your book is described as this. It says it is 
tenaciously atypical among health books. We talked about it a little bit, but let's dive into that more. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about that, about that tenaciously atypical among health books. Right. So sort of what you just said to piggyback, Danielle, you know, you think of like health food, like sawdust and kale stems and quinoa or whatever, you know, just choking it down. Uh, (laughs) So I think that's probably what people think about a health book. You know, like, ugh, who, it's it's like, I mean, I can say this because my brother's a dentist, like, who was excited to go to the dentist, you know, yeah, nobody, really. <laughs> so the aim of this book to be tenaciously atypical is, is a few different things. The first is the language, the way it's written. So I'm all about straight talk, no BS, sassy, try to be fun. You know, you readers can tell me if they find it funny or, you know, eye rolling. But I don't want it to be this sort of prescriptive, what I call standing on health coach hill, because mm-hmm. I think that's what people would assume, because a lot of books are written in that, you know, here I am, I am this unicorn and here's what you need to do and, and follow these processes and eat your sawdust and torture yourself in the gym and then you too will be healthy. This is meant to be fun. You know, as I said, food should also be pleasure. I wanted the book to be fun to read. I also wanted the book to be real. So this book is written by a person whom I've already mentioned who struggled, who not only struggled with a severe eating disorder, but just sort of disordered eating, Um, someone who was always counting calories. And like even at like a wonderful dinner in France with people from around the world and you know, I should be just focused on the moment, but I'm trying to count the calories to see if I have room for the cheese course, you know, and this is not present. This is not pleasurable. So I want it to be fun. I want it to be real, but most importantly, I want it to be actionable for, for people to give real people real tips. So it's, there is, you know, there's documentation of any studies mentioned and that sort of thing, but I would say it's more of like a conversational book than a prescription that might be written. So I guess it's the voice, the style, trying to relate to people. And furthermore, like most health-minded people are not foodies. Most foodies are not exercise enthusiasts. So I kind of bring all of that together. I love that. I love that you keep using the word unicorn. You've used it a few times and how, you know, we're saying, I'm not that unicorn. I'm not that unicorn. And in some ways that's true, but I almost feel like in the ways you're describing this book, you are a little bit that unicorn and that you're the foodie and you're into health and you're into fitness and you're bringing it and you're making it real and attainable. So people are reading it and they're not looking at it going, oh, I could never be that. I can be that. She did that. What a beautiful way to bring nutrition and make it attainable for everyone. I love it so much. I want to jump into my next question. So recently we published a really beautiful blog post on Selena Repress that you wrote. And it's about the importance of family meals and sitting down for family meals. You mentioned it a little bit about Europe and how that is a big thing there. You know, I was in Europe. You're totally right. Meals were a big event, very different than what it is here. It's something, yeah, we just don't see nowadays. So what advice can you give to these families? Like you say, real attainable advice for people to be able to add that back into their routine and into their lifestyle, these family meals. Right. Practical advice. So yes, this is not as much as I love a five hour Sunday lunch in France. 
that that's a real thing for us every year. That is not practical. That's called vacation. <laughs> so we don't do that at our home. I think to make it practical, the first thing is, you know, this is a boring part. This is the straight talk, I'll call it. This is a straight talk. You have to prioritize for it. So what does that mean? You have to actually make choices. And we all have the same 24 hours in a day. So this does not mean you need to get out Julia Child's cookbook and spend hours in the kitchen, but it does mean that you should, you know, my, my I hate using the word should, so shame on me for saying that. But if someone wants to prioritize this, the things to do are to spend a few minutes, some people want to do it one day of the week, thinking about what are we going to eat? And I'm specifically talking about dinner. Um, but this could be applied to other meals. But this idea of the family meal, I'm really talking about dinner. So what is it that we're going to, to serve? You know, who is going to make it? Who is going to clean it up? Because <laughs> that's an equally important aspect of a family meal. And, and then just, just determine when you're going to do it. And then pepper in what is needed for your family. So for some people, it might be quick. I mean, I've got a charcuterie board behind me in my screen. That could be dinner. It doesn't have to be, as I said, Julia Child's multi-course meal. And so I think the other thing is just prioritizing dinner time. And that time might shift depending on if you have a family, the different kids' activities. But I will say that is the most important part of my day is when I sit down to dinner with my husband, my son, and our giant Newfoundland who sits under the table and would not want to be left out, even if it's 20 minutes, because this is where we can sit down, we can look at each other, we can toast and, and, and enjoy the food. And the amount of pleasure that that gives back, it, you know, it's immense compared to the short investment of time. I mean, I would say we're probably 45 minutes to an hour of weekday time between the thinking about it, the preparation, the eating and the cleanup. So it's really doable, but for some people they might say, well, I don't have an hour to deal with dinner. Well, you know, ultimately that's your choice. So I hope that answers your question. It answered it really well. And I almost want to piggyback, you know, I'll say I have young kids, I have four young kids and I've always made it a priority that at least five days a week, we have a family dinner. My kids are like, why can't we eat at the table? Why can't we eat while we watch the show? Why can't we this? And just having that time to sit together, like even like you said, it could be 15 to 20 minutes. And one other thing that I will say to our listeners and that I will challenge that's been really hard, especially for my husband, putting the phones away, no phones at the dinner table. That's been another huge thing too. And the difference it makes on our family and our dynamic on top of our health, something that you've, I think, kind of hinted at. Physical health is a lot of what we're talking about, also our emotional and our mental well-being. When we spend that time together, how just that 20 minutes can make a huge difference. I think it's also really important that you talked about it can be a simple meal. Sometimes we have these grandiose ideas of what this beautiful family dinner needs to be with this meal that we've set together. I've had so many days where it's a busy day and I have to run to make dinner and I grab a piece of fruit and I grab some vegetables from the, from the fridge and I throw them on there with, with, you know, a nice piece of meat and that's dinner. And it still is so, it's so wonderful. Yeah. I agree. It's, I think that's a big hurdle is it feels like this production, 
but it just doesn't have to be, you know, you, you want ideally some, some protein, some plants, some fat, um, and, and a, and a glass you can toast with whatever you want to put in there. And, and to your point about the digital, you know, that that's banned from our table. It's banned from our bedrooms because it interferes with sleep. Um, it, it's, you know, I'm from the South, like the whole, if you walk to a dinner table with a hat on, that's just like you farted in church, right? So, <laughs> to me, I don't care if you wear a hat, but leave your phone because the presence, what I talked about earlier, me sitting there counting calories when I'm surrounded by all these amazing people, I wasn't present. And that's to me, the greatest gift that we can give the people that we love and like is our pure attention. I love that. I feel like you're giving so many beautiful, well-rounded, easy tips, easy little things we can do that when combined are going to make such a difference in our lives. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share and talk about? Yes, this has been on my mind um, and it may not seem like it directly relates to the nourishment mindset, but the more and more I work with clients on metabolic health, the more that I think that sleep is under-discussed, under-appreciated. For some, it's seen as this sort of optional habit. You know, I think most people would probably view brushing their teeth as, as something that's non-optional. I think sleep, it, it should be one of those things because we tend to skimp on it. We all tend to have a routine in the morning, you know, whether it's get up, brush your hair, open the windows, brush your teeth, whatever it is you're doing, that's kind of ingrained, I think, for most people. But very few people that I'm meeting have like a sleep hygiene routine. And to me, this is critical because we've all been told, and, and I'm not saying it's not true, but if you, you know, eat real foods and you, you get movement and sunlight and, and pleasure and everything, this is true. It's really important for metabolic health. But the fact is we are not improving our metabolic health when we are awake. Where you heal is when you are asleep and you want that deep, restful sleep. And so I just encourage people to think, just give sleep a little bit of thought, you know, and there's some easy things you do. I talk about it in the book. You know, it begins with trying to finish dinner three hours before bedtime because you can't rest and digest at the same time. I don't usually do that. I'm going to be honest. It's usually two hours. So, you know, there's no health coach Hill, as I said, um, the hour before bedtime, not having the digital detox, getting away from the screens, which tell your brain that it's morning. How can you expect to sleep well if you're telling your brain that it's morning? And then the one that a lot of people, you know, we've all heard to keep your room dark and cool and all of that stuff. But another huge one that almost no one talks about is this concept of screen rise. You know, so if you wake up and you stick that blue light in your face, you know, that's not how we humans were meant to <laughs> greet the day. And so I think, again, it goes back to that digital detox. You brought it up, digital detox from the dinner table. This is digital detox from the bedroom. And, and again, to promote health and vitality. You know, you have more energy to plan how you're going to eat and enjoy that dinner if you wake up well-rested. What an awesome point. I love that you're bringing out these other points that happen to do with health 
you know, one thing when you're talking about sleep and how people don't make sleep a priority, there's a saying, and I'm sure you've heard it, and we've all heard it, that people say all the time, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I kind of chuckle because I feel like, you know what, if that's your philosophy, well, that death day might come a lot sooner. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> think about it. Yeah, you'll sleep when you're dead and you might be dead sooner if you live by that. So what an awesome thing. One last thing I kind of wanted to ask you is, you know, for those struggling out there, what would you say to them? Oh, I love this question. So I can absolutely relate to this because it, it's no secret if when you read the book, you know, I talk about passing out on the floor due to, you know, abuse of laxatives and exercise and just, you know, I'm lucky I'm not dead. Um, to, to your point about sleeping when you're dead, you know, I was a sick chick. Um, and I, I now at 45, you know, at 15, I felt horrible. I, I could have died multiple times. You know, at 25, I had the gift of youth. <laughs> um, at 35, I felt pretty damn tired, just given the um, the demands of of owning a company and, and having a baby and yada, yada, and middle age starting to creep up and being pudgy and whatever. And at 45, I feel like I feel the most vital, the most grounded center that I have, centered rather that I have in my life. Um, and so the point of all that is not just, you know, woohoo me. The point is you can feel better. You can be at rock bottom or maybe not rock bottom. Maybe you're just not feeling like yourself. You can take small steps and sort of habit stack to get to a healthier, vital you. And it's not too late. I mean, there are studies of seniors. This is years ago when I worked at the Cooper Clinic in Dallas, Texas, where they took seniors who were either wheelchair or walker bound, put them on. It was a 10 or 12 week strength training program, two or three times a week. Most of them didn't need walking assistance anymore after the strength training. And to me, that's like, you know, A, strength training is the fountain of youth. B, it's never too late. And this can be the difference between being in assisted living and being independent. You know, and so if it's not too late in your 80s or even your 90s, it's certainly not too late wherever, you know, your core audience is, I'm imagining middle age, um, to, to take those steps. And, and, and lastly, like, I used to think of health as sort of an all or nothing. Like if I ate one chocolate thing, the day's ruined and I might as well just screw it. I've, you know, I'll worry about this tomorrow. That's, you know, that's not the nourishment mindset. The nourishment mindset is our health is like, I liken it to a bank account, maybe because I have a husband in finance and I have an MBA in finance, but every nourishing step you take, whether it's the digital dinner detox or sleep detox or a great real meal present with the people, um, or even just yourself, if you're alone, you can have a meal present with yourself or it's activity, whatever health-minded small behavior you do goes into your health bank account like a deposit. And so as long as you are accumulating deposits, sometimes, sure, you might have a withdrawal and that's okay. You know, we, we can't take the money with us. <laughs> we have to enjoy it. So just kind of getting out of that all or nothing thinking. So to summarize, it's never too late and basically self-grace, like it's okay to not be perfect.
I love everything you say. And a lot of it is even hitting home for me. It's not too late. Huge. And um, you don't have to be perfect. That is a huge one. I actually wrote a post about with SRP about how I was very all or nothing too. It's something I really struggled with, which means I know a lot of other people do as well. I really want to take a moment and give you sincere thank you. You really opened up and told us a lot of really personal things and just gave some really beautiful advice and tips. I feel inspired after this short interview with you. I'm so excited to dive more into your amazing book for all of our readers out there to get it and to enjoy it and to really start making that change and to live our vital nourishment life that you talked about. So thank you so much for being with us, Stacey. You're welcome. Cheers to vitality, Danielle. Cheers. In closing, y'all, I just want to announce a couple of things. Number one, we turn a year old at the Nourishment Mindset this month. August 24th was my first podcast in 2022. So woohoo. And in celebration of this first birthday, I would like to offer y'all, anyone who posts a review anywhere, say on Amazon for the Nourishment Mindset book or on any of the podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Google Play, you post your review you get to pick the review. I have to earn five stars. So if I haven't earned it, let me know why. But if you post a review for the Nourishment Mindset, you are granted a 20-minute complimentary health consultation. We can talk about the topic of your choice. So you take a minute to leave a review. I give you 20 minutes of my time to talk about whatever. And you know what? Maybe you don't want a health consultation. Maybe you want a wine consultation. We can talk about Pinot Noir from Oregon. We can talk about cab from Washington versus Napa cabs that are much pricier. You tell me what you want to talk about for 15 to 20 minutes, and we'll just get right on that. So thank you again for your support, your listener or viewership. And I wish you a wonderfully nourished couple of weeks. Bye, y'all.